so my oh, article was trying to <laughs> capture <laughs> this whole process mm-hmm. and what happened to Mary uh, using her daughter perspective. The, I mean, this is not a single case. It happened many, many times and it represents many layers of problem uh, of the vulnerability of migrant worker uh, to face a death penalty. It's still going because until today, more than 20 years, Mary Utami is still on the prison and she still face the uncertainty of the penalty like uh, will she be executed uh, will she not be executed or how long she's gonna be on the prison etc and of course it impacts the family in many many impacts Migrant workers still facing uh, discrimination and lack of legal protection in general. So, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, they, they are much more vulnerable to face a death sentence. Please listen carefully. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you listen to this podcast, with me Jess and Anna, welcome to Poesy Podcast by BBC, a podcast dedicated to highlight the stories around cross-cutting human rights issues across East and Southeast Asia. This podcast is an initiative of BBC Network, better engagement between East and Southeast Asia. Poesy, Poesy Podcast. Hi Anna, how are you? Hi Jess, I'm fine. I'm kind of a bit groggy because I only have three hours of sleep, but Why? So I'll get through. Yeah, I'm having trouble in sleeping. Yeah, Why? for the past few days. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we figure it out. We'll I can get to sleep earlier <laughs> soon. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, that's just an idea, right? to get sleep earlier but in fact <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> it's really especially hard. when yeah, you're yeah. holding your phone or before yeah, you go to sleep yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a bad yeah, move yeah, yeah. i don't recommend <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like like if you want to sleep and you're holding your phone you will think like okay i should get away from my phone but yeah. when you are already far from your phone you will feel bored and then Okay, I'll just take my phone again. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's why the the experts are right. I, you should not use your phone before you go to sleep. <laughs> right. But yeah, you know, how about you, Jess? I'm fine. I'm fine. And you know, it's been a long time since the last time we had a chit chat like this, Emma. Yeah, it's it was from the previous podcast, right? All right, like uh, a month ago. Yeah, like mm, it's been a month or, or more mm-hmm. than or more than yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you were so busy. We were also busy, right? Yeah, we are all busy, and I know it. I'm busy as well because oh yeah, one of the reasons why I'm busy actually is because Indonesia just faced its review under the UPR mechanism, and I and I believe that the Philippines 
uh, also just face its review in the same cycle with Indonesia. Oh yes, I've heard about that, but yeah. for someone like me who's not familiar with this, can you mm. tell me what is UPR mechanism again? And I believe not everyone knows about oh, right, that. Right, right, right. So UPR mechanism actually is a mechanism under the United Nations Human Rights Council, which where each country will be evaluated, you know, will be reviewed. Actually, UPR stands for Universal Periodic Review. So each country will be reviewed by all members of the UN regarding the commitment of the country to international obligations in the promotion and fulfillment of human rights. Shortly, in the UPR session, the reports which submitted by the government and the national human rights institution will be compared, you know, uh, with shadow reports from civil society organization from the country. So it's like what what of course the government will say like oh we already did our best we already did this we already did that in order to fulfill and in, in order to uh, promote uh, and in order to ensure the enjoyment of human rights but uh, there's a forum for civil society to say oh no no you did you did not do that you know like mm-hmm. uh, you should improve in this part you should improve in that part you like if you say that you already did all the best no 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 it's not like that so it's it's kind of it's kind of forum like for for that kind of uh, conversation actually mm, so it's like an audit so mm. right mm-hmm. mm. i think yeah thank you for explaining that just uh, i was actually not uh having a hard time understanding it but thank you for that and i think that's interesting so based from um the upr that had happened so what are the recommendations the indonesian government received and what are the most considered as a problem by them by the international community a lot actually if we are talking about the uh, the problems that uh, addressed by them actually we, we will talk about the Papua issue, we will talk about the freedom of expression and stuff. But um, the biggest number of recommendation to the Indonesian government is about death penalty. Indonesia got so many recommendations from 28 countries, you know, even Ooh. there's 28 countries have their concern about the situation of the existing of death penalty in Indonesia. Uh, the recommendation mostly about to urge the Indonesian government to abolish that penalty and or to take the moratorium first at the first step to abolish the death penalty. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So actually we had that one in our, in Philippines. I'm not sure if it's because of the UPR or I don't know if they really started researching it. Um, but we don't have that one right now. And I think that's good. So, death penalty is still a problem in Indonesia. Yes. So, by the way, Jess, uh, actually, I know, I know someone. Actually, our yep. friend who wrote about mm. death penalty in Indonesia. And now, mm. the person I'm talking about is with us and the guest of our podcast for today's episode. Oh, really? So it is uh, Padia. So, hi, Padia. Oh. Hi everyone. Hi, 
everyone. <laughs> Welcome to our Boise podcast. So, Padilla currently is an editor in New Narrative. Before, Padilla is a, was a journalist working for several prominent media outlets in Indonesia. Padilla also liked to write about human rights and social justice issues, as well as involved in many civil movements in Indonesia. Yeah, of course, I know Padilla, right? Padilla is my friend from so long time ago, and also oh, really? we, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Padilla also involved as participants of BBC Story Fellowship last year, and if I'm not mistaken, on that story fellowship, Fadia wrote about death penalty in Indonesia, Ooh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, so, everyone. Fadia, would you like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like to introduce a bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, before I do that, thank you for inviting me uh, here. I'm so glad to be here today, and I'm also so nervous because, like I said before, it's so weird to be interviewed by other people <laughs> because usually I'm the one who interview people. Uh, so yeah, yeah I'm Fadia. I'm Fadia Ledrus. You can call me Fadia. My pronouns is they or them. Uh, I'm an English language content editor for New Narrative and I'm also a journalist based in Indonesia. Uh, mm. I think that's it. <laughs> and right. and by the way, I'm a Virgo. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to mention, yeah? It's important uh-huh. to mention yeah. that you're a Virgo, yeah? All right. Yeah. So as a, as a Virgo survivor... Uh... <laughs> Virgo survivor? No, no, no. The term Virgo survivor is like uh, internal jokes between me and Fadia from so long time ago. Yeah, because some people see themselves as a victim of Virgos. (laughs) Right. Okay. But I'm so interested, Fadia, with your article, uh, with your story that you wrote last year in uh, BBC Story Fellowship. I mean, like, among of so many issues in Indonesia, why you decided to write about death penalty? Uh, yeah, so I found myself intrigued with the death penalty issues, specifically in Indonesia, because I found several ironic and contradictive things that is happening in here. For example, there were many critics of the Saudi government from Indonesia due to the death penalty in Saudi. It happened many times, specifically to Indonesian migrant workers. But at the same time, Indonesia also has the death penalty. And a lot of Indonesian people, including migrant workers, have to face it. So they face death penalty in their own country, in Indonesia as well. And Indonesia government also used death penalty as a part of war on drugs campaign. But as we can see until today, using death penalty as a part of war on drugs campaign never really fixed the drugs issue itself, especially when it comes to the syndicate, etc. But yeah, uh, I'm sorry, that's another big problem that also related to death penalty in Indonesia. But I I believe that's not only in Indonesia, but also in the Philippines, like uh, the previous president of the Philippines, 
Duterte yeah. was also, you know, he was also, he did the same, you know, he did the same. Yeah, exactly. He, he used the same campaign war on yeah. drugs, and and he shot so many people in the street, right? Yeah, Amen? of course. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> actually like that idea, but little uh, did they know the true, the true story behind it. Like it's not. Uh, <clears throat> let's not go over that. But yeah, we have the similar problem. And mm. oh wait, uh, I think I saw one um cartoon. It's like a comic strip where it says mm. that yeah we don't have death penalty in in the Philippines, but it seems like those every day every day there's a victim of death penalty because of the war on drugs. And I think that is a very strong statement. So. So um basically um I've actually um read your article so what but I would like to learn more so what was the story of your article back then uh, so it was a long form feature about Mary Utami Mary mm-hmm. Utami is a migrant worker from Indonesia who had to leave her family and become a migrant worker in Taiwan to collect some money for her son's uh, heart treatment. Her son Yosi had a heart condition back then and her family didn't have enough money to take him to treatment. However, she faced problems in Taiwan Uh, she lost her job, etc. And then she met a guy named Jerry who offered to help her in the middle of her crisis. But instead of helping her, this guy ending up uh, manipulated her into bringing some drugs inside a bag from Nepal to Indonesia. And then right when Mary arrived at the airport in Indonesia, the police arrested her. She also got assaulted by the police during the arrest, mm-hmm. investigation, and detention. And she ended up getting a death uh, penalty. So my article death was sentence. trying... Yeah, death sentence, sorry. So my uh, article I... was trying <laughs> to capture <laughs> this whole process mm-hmm. and what happened to Mary... Uh, using her daughter perspective, her daughter name is Devi uh, Krista. So the article mainly uses her voice, and I also used this case to represent uh, much more. The, I mean, this is not a single case. It happened many, many times, and it represents many layer of problem uh, of the vulnerability of migrant worker. Uh, to face a death penalty. So so yeah, and and if anyone want to read it, it has been published in uh, Project Multatuli and BBC's BBC website mm-hmm. as well. I believe that you you wanted to say that the impact of the penalty is not only to the victim but also to their families and relatives. Yeah, because you the one that you interviewed is the. Uh, daughter of Mary Utami, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it has many impacts not only to the person but to uh, the family, the relatives. Uh, for example, like as I mentioned before, oh, uh, no, no, I haven't mentioned it. So the family also uh, 
face economic impacts, especially with the fact that most of the migrant workers are financial support for their family, like what happened to Mary Utami. And the second one also uh, impacts their psychological condition. I can't really talk much about it because it's not my specialty, but uh, National Commission on Violence Against Against Women or Komnas mm-hmm. Perempuan in Indonesia did a research yes. about it a few years ago. They capture how the death penalty impacts uh, female migrant workers and their mm-hmm. families. Uh, yeah, it impacts them in economic context, in psychological, etc. You want to highlight that there's a relation between the victim status as a migrant workers, especially Mary Utami as a female migrant workers, and her vulnerability in the justice system, so she got the punishment. Is yeah. that it? Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, because it's totally related. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially because like migrant workers still facing uh, discrimination and lack of legal protection in general. So, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, they, they are much more vulnerable to face a death sentence. Like, oh. like for example, what happened to Mary? Like, she lost her job and don't have anything certain at that point. And at that condition, they will easily get manipulated, including by drug or human trafficking syndicate. And when it happened, they are vulnerable to getting another legal punishment mm-hmm. I mean it's a sad a sad reality to our migrant workers because they are being abused um, they are emotionally not okay financially as well and they take advantage of it yeah so I'm glad that you came up with this um, idea so was uh, what was um, your reason for choosing uh, our BBC Story Fellowship last year? Last year, as your plan. Okay, so at the end of last year, actually I was working on a piece about migrant worker as well, but it was about the the HIV treatment access for Indonesian migrant worker in Indonesia and along the way of the process I found lots of shocking data in the reporting including about how most Indonesian people who face death penalty are female migrant worker I think it was one of the Amnesty International reports I was interested in digging more about it, but I'm not sure where I was going to pitch the story. And then at the same time, Jess actually the one who told me about the story fellowship and I start to read about it and turns out it has uh, the same theme uh, which was about migrant workers. So I immediately tried to make a pitch and submit to BBC and turned out I was selected and yeah uh, turned out like I get many many help from BBC as well uh, especially uh, on the reporting process mm-hmm. yeah so uh, for those who are not aware we are 
Uh, Story Fellowship is a program from BBC or an initiative from BBC which highlights the stories of our migrant workers or the uh, members of our migrant communities. But I, you know, actually I, I, I'm still curious about uh, the work of Fadia last year, the, the, the story that Fadia wrote last year. So Fadia, that you mentioned um, that uh, the impact of death penalty not only to the victim but also to their families and relatives. So based on your work and your ob- observation, uh, do the, the the families and relatives of uh, uh, Mary Utami still still have the impact of that right now? I mean. How long is the impact, you know? How big is the impact? Uh, I can say that it is so big. Uh, like, like it's still going because until today, more than yeah. 20 years, Mary yeah. Utami is still on the prison and uh, she still face the uncertainty of the penalty, like, uh, will she be executed? Uh, will she not be executed? Or how long she's gonna be on the prison, etc. And of course, it impacts the family in many, many impacts. I'm, I cannot uh, represent, be, uh, I mean, I cannot represent what they are feeling, but as what Devi told me, like, it impact her in many ways like uh, at the end she grew up without uh, a mother she end up grew up without a mother she confused of, of what happening to Mary Utami she she growing up without without knowing what truly happening until the death uh, penalty comes the day of the execution which is on back on 2016 so 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 yeah it's it's confusing uh for Devi at least I actually like wrote uh the detail about how Devi feels etc and it it was uh like the interview with Devi was one of my most intense interview of my life I think because mm-hmm. uh, she has many emotion during the interview and and yeah it, I mean the this case was a lot <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe it but right, right, but right, yeah right. it was an intense reporting uh, as uh, yeah in general it was an intense reporting for me personally mm-hmm. oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And again, uh, Fadia, since we are talking about death penalty, means we are talking about the uh, uh, judicial system in Indonesia, right? So, based on your finding, what is the what are the halls? You know, what are the what are the what is it? The halls, you know, the halls in the whole judicial system in the context of death penalty in Indonesia. Also, can I add? Um, how, how, um, why is it that um, it's been taking for so long to create a, to have a judgment? Did I correct this term? Like she's been arrested, right, for almost 
has it has it been a decade oh 20 years oh yeah it's it's been a long time then how come there's no um uh, or has there been any progress or yeah no uh, so actually until today uh her lawyer still campaigning about uh the urge to for uh, they still urge uh, President Jokowi to give Mary Utami clemency, but uh, they also uh, have published a petition about it. So if anyone wants to make a little help for Mary Utami case, I think you can also uh, sign the petition to urge President Jokowi Dodo to give her a clemency because until today there is no progress at all uh, for her case starts yeah uh, she was about to be executed on 2016 but Jokowi uh, held it until today and it's still unsure for how long she's gonna be arrested actually so mm-hmm. so yeah I think it's I think it's sad because they're prolonging it it it's putting her into uncertainty whether the you know she's she will be free or not and i think it's sad yeah, yeah. and i hope there should there will be changes from this right yeah and for those who are not aware yeah actually right now it doesn't mean that we are hoping that mary utami will be executed no but uh on the other side you know keeping keeping someone in a in a very long time in a prison without any certainty is is cruel as well you know yeah so, i agree reminds right, me of so, the movie do you know um Shawshank redemption yeah Shawshank redemption. yeah like the old guy and forgot his name i think it was red and then he's been in prison for a long time then after he after he was you know after he got out, he was already old and he was not happy with his life anymore. So he, you know, ended his life. And I don't know why I inserted that one. But, you know, um, if they've been in prison for so long, they are not sure. What, uh, they are not, they do not know what to do when they're already outside because they have already, you know, um, getting accustomed to the environment in the, in the prison and, yeah. Mm. Sorry, a little second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But 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 we hope that she will get at least a clemency soon, as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We hope yeah, that's for really that. That's really our hope too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lastly, Fadia, or will will you, Anna, who yeah. will ask the question? Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, lastly, um, why did you choose journalism as your tool to do your advocacy? So yeah, uh, I think first of all, it's the only thing that I can contribute, I can do as a journalist. Uh, like it's a part of our job to tell stories and facts of how things happening, including this intersection, this intersection issue uh, between migrant workers and death penalty and to quote the cliche words from journalism is to give a voice to the voiceless 
people voiceless which means we give more space uh, for the marginalized group and i also realized that uh, it wasn't a mainstream issue this story wasn't a mainstream issue therefore i also pitched this idea to an alternative media in indonesia namely project montatuli uh, yeah. yeah i think journalism can always be a part of advocacy by telling people the stories giving them the facts and data and by doing the fact checking process in order to let people know about this issue why this is important why this is a problem what we can do etc so so yeah uh, earlier this year project multatuli published my article in bahasa indonesia so most of the audience is indonesian but this year actually new narrative ad- adapted uh, the article into a comic book in english wow. in indonesian yeah Cool. Yeah, I, I really love the illustration. It, uh, yeah. Well, I'm not the one who made it. I can't draw at all. <laughs> But yeah, I hope it can raise awareness to a broader public, at least in Southeast Asia. So the comic publication mm. is still ongoing. Everyone's in a I... week until the end of December. All right, so we should wait until the last week of December, yeah. Yeah, please read yeah. it every so, okay, you Friday. Okay, about... right, right. So you 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 mentioned about uh, raising awareness. So what do you think uh, the importance of raising awareness in the context of advocacy? You know? Like, is okay. it important or? I think it's very important. It's more like a very first step uh, for the advocacy itself. Like, how can we make a progress? How can we we make a movement? If we don't even raise the awareness itself, uh, because raising awareness is like, yeah, telling people that this is important. You have to know about this. Uh, this is a problem, etc., etc., and people will uh, take another step on it, acting on it, etc., after they have the awareness. So I think uh, building awareness is a very, very first step of the advocacy. Personally, for me, it's like a very, hmm. very first step. Right, right, right. And as a former journalist, <laughs> actually, I believe in the same idea with you about building awareness raising awareness building consciousness uh, as part of um, you know developing counter narrative yeah or the, new narrative you know. <laughs> yeah yeah new narrative exactly any <laughs> yeah, narrative right, is a counter narrative no i'm just kidding exactly 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 <laughs> <laughs> But you know, actually I'm so happy to have a conversation today with you, Anna and Fadia, you know, this yes. is a very fruitful conversation and uh, although it's like very short, but actually it's already half an hour. Oh, is talk it? Talk like this and yeah, 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 yeah. And I just like to thank Fadia for coming. All the best for you and... 
your advocacy, your journalism as your co-advocacy as well. Thank you. <clears throat> yes. You can also promote your narrative, Padilla. Uh, I, I think I don't need to promote it. I'm, I'm kind of confused. <laughs> I think I already promoted on the first part uh, of the comic. All right. Yeah, yeah, with us here in our Voicey podcast episode. To our listeners, if you'd like to know more about us, follow us in our social media accounts at BBC Org in Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stay updated. Do you have anything right. else to say, Jess? No. It's fine for me and I think all I want to say is goodbye, everyone. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank Bye. you for listening for today's episode. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Yay, bye.